0: I'm actually in a technically fasted state, which is why we use the term unfed state. So everyone goes into an unfed state when they're sleeping. And if people sleep more than this quote unquote average six hours and they don't eat during that time, then they will enter the fasted state. And during that time, that's when the body can undergo this autography, cellular renewal, cellular regeneration. Um, So when you fast for long periods of time, you get more of that good stuff, right? Um, So that's the idea behind it. Welcome
1: back to another episode of the Benenberg Show with your favorite NBA and high school dropout. Talking everything crypto, business, and personal growth. And today, I couldn't have thought of a better person to bring on uh, a friend of mine, a fellow. Well, I was going to say fellow, but we're cousins. He's a Kiwi, a Kiwi in Tasmania. I think we're cousins. <laughs> <laughs> close enough. Uh, Hedley, yeah. close enough. Uh, he's an anxiety and performance coach, meditation teacher, and host of the podcast Pocket Coach. Where he really hones in on men-specific uh, things around mental health uh, and, and ties in things with like neuroscience and spirituality. He's recently released a new school called the Unshake Unshakeable
0: Unshakeability. Unshakeability. Yeah, yeah, it's a mix <laughs> of up, <laughs> letters right there.
1: Yeah, Unshakeability School focused on helping men uh, essentially with the symptoms of anxiety. Uh, he posts a, a heap of amazing content uh, on on Instagram, which I follow. He's got that podcast, as I mentioned. And as someone who, you know, deals with anxiety and stress, uh, you know, I love tuning into his content and we actually met in Minneapolis in the U S at VCON, and, uh, We're all friends holders, so I thought it'd be an amazing uh, little conversation to to come on. Kieran, thanks very much for joining us, man.
0: Yeah, thank you for having me, mate. This is an absolute pleasure. Like, real cool how we met, and now we're, you know, sitting here just across the ditch, you know, um, having a good yarn about anxiety, mental health, um, mindfulness, all the good stuff, you know, um, self-development, which I know is a big part of what you guys do, so uh, personal development rather. So, yeah, real um, pumped for this, man. Yeah.
1: Amazing, man. Thanks so much for coming on. And yeah, as a lot of our listeners know, Bergs and I are massive fans of personal growth and development and improving and, and mental health is a big part of that. And um, today we're really going to be diving into different strategies around whether it be, um, you know, mindfulness, meditation, journaling, the science behind it. What I love about your insights, Kieran, is you really like give not, not just the, the benefits, but you also sort of Talk around the the reasons why your body might be doing
0: what it's doing, and most of the time, I don't really understand the words you're using. But, but <laughs> <I> really- <laughs> we'll break it down. We'll, break it down. we'll um, break it down. Yeah, that is an important part, though, because if I just. Uh, get an understanding of, oh, this is a benefit of doing X. There's no link as to why that's working. And when there's no link, I can't understand the mechanism. Without understanding the mechanism, I can't use it the way that I need it. Um, So that's why I think it's important. For example, like a breathing technique, you know, that might be very calming. Uh, If someone just understands, oh, this is calming, they might just use it when they maybe get riled up. Uh, with anxiety, but then they might try to use it when they're actually undergoing panic, which is an, an extreme level of anxiety. And trying to use a calming breathing technique when someone's undergoing panic is actually uh, counterproductive. Um, and we can get into that stuff in at a, a later point. But um, I don't know if you've ever seen uh, someone have a panic attack or ever had a panic attack yourself, but if that's ever happened and you've tried to calm your breathing, it's a very counterproductive process, um, you kind of have to go with it, um, which is completely opposite to actually using the calming breathing technique. So if you understand at least the mechanism, you can understand, oh, I can use it in these situations, but not these situations, right? So it's, it's, it's mainly that point, which is what I want um, to try to get across. Hmm. So panic attacks are actually more common than you think. And right. even
2: when I talk around with my mates that are in really high management positions, they've got a lot going on and they have a panic attack come on. And they're like, what the fuck is this? Because they've never experienced it before. And the mechanism is hilarious to me where you're kind of breathing normally, right? You start to panic, you know, your heart rate goes up and then you start to shallow breathe. And then your body's just like, oh, that's fine. I'll just breathe more. And I'll be like,
0: <gasps> yeah, exactly. and you're taking in yeah.
2: like way too much and you're not, you're not holding your breath enough. You're not kind of, it's just it's a quite a shocking thing when it happens to you and it comes out of nowhere and you have to deal with it. Mm. And mate, I'd, I'd love to know, like if a panic attack comes on, what do you recommend? Like, How do people react to it? How should they deal with that?
0: Go with it. Um, yeah. And I'll speak about that in a moment. Um, but I'll just share firstly, so this is something that I've experienced a lot in my life is panic attacks. I really suffered anxiety for a big portion of my life. And actually it started with a big period of time where I was depressed. So from depression, I went to anxiety with depression. And then of course, you know, that triggered me into doing this kind of stuff, right? Um, Which just helped me a lot. And then I get to work with other men doing the same, but um, the panic attacks would randomly just be onset in random situations. I might be walking through a mall and I'll just suddenly feel panic. I'll be like, why am I feeling panic? Uh, I feel fine. Um, Or I was fine a minute ago. And, or I might be in a conversation at the time with my partner. Or I might have been literally at home where there's nothing around me, and all of a sudden, just panic attack. It was the most insane, um, confusing moment of my life. And after some time, now that I've done a lot of more of what you would call, I guess, the work, right? I've come to understand in terms of where that was coming from in the first place back then. But it does seem like it comes out of nowhere. But when it does come on, Trying to understand it is actually probably most, again, a counterproductive thing because it's very hard to figure that out when the brain goes into a state of threat detection and fight or flight. And in doing so, my vision, um, not just in terms of my ocular vision, so with my eyes, but in terms of my perception as well, in terms of how I'm thinking, becomes very... Uh, tunnel vision, focus. Like I can only see one thing. I can only just try find the threat. But like, how can I find a threat that isn't even around me when I'm at home alone? I can't. It's within me, but I can't process that when I'm in a state of panic. So actually, the best thing to do is to help t- myself to regulate my system first. So one of the best methods to do that, from my experience with undergoing my own panic attacks in the past, and then also with how I've coached people through this as well, is to actually uh, enhance your breath, not calm it, because the physiological response of (laughs) hyperventilation, right, is from a demand of oxygen. And because I'm not able to get the oxygen in because I've had a collapse of certain, um, I hate using names too much, but there's these alveoli, um, which sounds like aioli, (laughs) that's what I remember, Um, which are in your lungs. You've literally got, I think it's like millions. I can't remember the exact count, but um, if you were to spread them out all along uh, the ground, they'd fill out the size of a tennis court. That's how many of these alveoli in your lungs you have. So many. And what these are responsible for is when you breathe in, it's converting the oxygen into, uh, sorry, it's taking the oxygen from your lungs and pulling it into your bloodstream. And then when that oxygen is converted into CO2, it's pulling the CO2 out from your bloodstream into your lungs so that when you exhale, you're exhaling the CO2. Right, So that's what these are responsible for. Now, when you undergo stress, they collapse. right? And when they collapse, it makes it very hard because it's, the body's trying to retain CO2, which is why it collapses. Um, ma- but makes it hard to take in the oxygen that your body's demanding. So it thinks it doesn't have any oxygen. So it's like, <laughs> right? Um, yeah. Now, the best way to uh, counter that is actually to enhance my breathing. Like I said, not calming it because I'm trying to give it more of that oxygen and I'm trying to reinflate these, what we call these or re... Um, instigate these alveoli and reinitiate them and to enhance my breathing or to do a double inhale which is called a physiological sigh can stimulate the opening of these alveoli (laughs) (laughs) yeah so you can basically so i'll just say say just to summarize it if you do undergo panic um deep breathe with a strong inhalation through the mouth is usually better because you've got bigger mouth than you do a nose and just do that a few times over sit up straight because it gives you a feeling of empowerment and then revert once you've done a few inhales once you feel like you're getting control to a double inhale through the nose or the mouth is okay and just do that a few times and then you can start calming your breath but if you go through that process and if you just remember to deeply inhale, if like there's anything that you remember, just deeply inhale from the moment you start to undergo panic, uh, you'll find that you'll start to regain control of your breathing, which will make you to feel like you're more in control and therefore help you to feel safe and therefore reduce the amount of uh, turmoil your nervous system is undergoing. Yeah, Wait, What a great tip. I um, actually went to a talk
2: on this as well and what you said is great and I'll add one thing. So if this happens to you for the first time, you're going to be overwhelmed, right? And Mm. it's a very unnerving experience. And if you're very, very unsure, do the tips you just heard. But one other thing I can give you for safety is, and if you're really not sure, literally sit down with your back against a wall Mm. because you can pass out from this right like it can that's be true. quite overwhelming so you don't want to be yeah. sitting up or standing up so do that and do the breathing techniques and get yourself back on track
0: yeah no that's beautifully yeah. um yeah. mate. exactly exactly yeah
2: and and mate Perfect. before the show you just mate you're an absolute animal so you're currently <laughs> fasting right yeah, yeah. and but not too far I, in
0: at the moment but yes yes yeah not too far <laughs> in yeah.
2: and mate can you maybe take us through why you decided to do this um how you're doing it, and what the benefits are of fasting.
0: Oh, mate, there's a list of benefits, but there's also a list of risks as well, right? And we can't talk about benefits without risks. I think it's important. Um, like to your point around the breathing, right? It's, it's, there's a risk of like to your point of passing out. So very important to to your point, sit down, uh, support yourself. So fasting, because yesterday morning I woke up with this buildup of what's called lymphatic fluid. So your lymphatic system doesn't have a pump like your heart does to your vascular system, um, which means it requires movement and also other things to actually help push this fluid, which is like a, um, bacteria, inflammation, things through the body. So you can eliminate this stuff right now. I got sick about three or four days ago. Um, I stupidly got into a sauna with a friend of mine who I knew was also sick. Um, well, I wasn't sick at the time, but now I am, I know why. (laughs) And, um, so as of yesterday morning, I started to feel this like pressure build up underneath my the my right ribs, and I still did my running, my ice bath, everything I'd normally do, which was helpful because I was able to get through my day just as I normally would, even though I was more fatigued and I was technically sick, which would have previously in my old days been a day where it's been in bed. So what's awesome about that is it just goes to show the potential of the human body when you give it the right things, right? But that aside, what happened is the fluid moved down to my lower abdomen, um, lower part of my stomach on my right side still, and it was quite tender. I'm like, oh man, I really obviously need to get rid of this. So I needed to uh, look into ways to flush it. And one way that I knew to flush lymphatic fluid is to fast because it decreases inflammation, which reduces um, often a enlarged lymph node that might be maybe causing congestion of lymphatic fluid. So fasting can reduce the inflammation. I took some turmeric with uh, black pepper this morning. Um, and also, apparently, I didn't know this until this morning because I love looking at this stuff, right? Medium chain triglycerides. So things like coconut oil and all that sort of stuff can as well help to drain the lymphatic system. I'm doing a lymphatic massage this afternoon, doing a sauna, all the good stuff. But fasting for that. And then benefits for fasting, that's one of them. Another is, of course, autography. Autography is like cellular regeneration um, and renewal. Um So ultimately, when you fast or in a fasted state or what is more technical is called an unfed state, so state when you're not during a fed state, because when you feed, go eat a meal, right? It takes a while not just for that food to go down into your stomach, but then also to digest and then empty it um, from your stomach into your uh, gastric system, um, into your sorry digestive tract and things like that. But um, ultimately, if I'm eating um, a meal, it's not until usually they say six hours, give or take, depending on the meal, how much I eat, that I'm actually in a technically fasted state, which is why we use the term unfed state. So everyone goes into an unfed state when they're um, sleeping. And if people sleep more than this quote unquote average six hours and they don't eat during that time, then they will enter the fasted state. And during that time, that's when the body can undergo this autography, cellular renewal, cellular regeneration. Um, so when you fast for long periods of time, you get more of that good stuff, right? Um, So that's the idea behind it. Um, But there's also other things like um, it can increase something in your brain called, oh God, I I get on going um, into the name, sorry, mate. Um, But (laughs) kynurinine acid, um, it's basically an, an acid that I don't know enough about to be honest but what I do know of is that a certain amount of it can create certain beneficial things for the brain's chemistry, but too much of it can be negative, which is why I find if I'm in a fasted state too long, I start to get really clouded in my brain. That can be partly due to a sodium, which is why I'm putting salt in my water um, during my fast. But also as well, it can be the fact that um, as well too much of this current acid in my brain as well can lead to that. So it's just, yeah, a play of things, but I, I reckon it's important to, be safe with it in the ways where if you start to feel dizzy or faint, stop your fast, break it. If you start to uh, again get that like lack of mental clarity and you just can't like think properly or see properly, which can happen um, for one thing, definitely start putting salt, a little bit of sea salt or like Himalayan salt or something into your water um, just to make sure that you're getting some sodium in. Otherwise, you're just flushing out of your nutrients because um, when you're fasted, of course, you're not getting in any of these sodium any sodium for food or anything like that, which is essential for your nervous system to operate efficiently. And I know it's a long spiel, but um, ultimately just to tie that up. um, Yeah. It's important to bear witness to your symptoms in terms of when you start to not feel good and to break your fast, if that's the case and you can build up your tolerance for fasting as well over time. So these are all important things to consider.
2: Mate, I love the process you've gone through where you're like, okay, I've got fluid retention how did this happen, right? I was in a sauna. Old mate was sick. Bastard got me sick. Okay, what can I do for this? You see a lymphatic system, something to do with your lymph nodes, right? I need to move this around. So what can I do? I can fast. I can have natural anti-inflammatories. And, you know, you can, it's it's just so good. It's like <laughs> troubleshooting the own challenge, your own challenges. <laughs> That's it's the idea, mate.
0: Yeah, it's the idea. Like I've been through... Um what when i was younger when i was 21 years old i abused testosterone for example that messed up my um, hormonal system in terms of my testosterone dropped because i ended up getting some fake stuff during a cycle which then boosted my estrogen which then also boosted my thyroid so i was um hyperthyroid um yep. and also um array, a, an array of other things as well went wrong with my body which just caused like constant napping um, need through the day um it caused like brain fog ongoing it just caused so many issues um that also triggered depression or re-triggered depression for me for a while and to fix that i had to learn so much about my own body of course as you can imagine to try move away from that i worked with an endocrinologist as well who helped me to get my testosterone back on track and then about three or four years later i got hit with actually a bout of chronic fatigue that wasn't because i abused testosterone because as you can imagine i never touched that stuff again after 21 Um, (laughs) screw that um but just uh, actually I should highlight there is um, there are doctors that will um, get you onto testosterone replacement therapy. I think that's a great thing if it's needed. So if you do know that your testosterone is low, that is an option, but yeah, I'm not a doctor by the way, just should put that out. Um, Now when, I went through that chronic fatigue phase. I furthered my knowledge. And then of course I got my concussion from a car crash about 10, 11 weeks ago. So that's another, um, this is my fourth concussion now. So this is another like recovery phase I'm going through. And every time I'm going through a new recovery phase, um, which seems to (laughs) keep happening to me, um, I of course want to further my knowledge and understand a little bit more in terms of what's going on so I can fix it as soon as possible. And then hopefully be able to help others as well. If I can, you know, Hmm. I
2: really like this because you've, It's almost like a forcing function where these things have happened to you and you go to like, well, it's a similar story to me where you go to like general medicine and you're like, they'll try and fix a money problem. It can create more problems. You want to learn more about it because you want to get back on track. And they happen more and more throughout your life. And we honestly just need this knowledge as preventative, right? Like, <laughs> as Ben's taking selfies. He can't help himself. <laughs> <laughs> see, me, like, see me that later. Yeah, <laughs> we need this knowledge as just like to be preventative before these things actually happen. And I'm just wondering, like, you've created this entire business and gone down this path. Was this spurred on by the events
0: and challenges that you had in your life previously? That's a great question, man. A couple of things spurred me on. One is that, exactly. So you nailed um, one of the nails right there. Um, the other nail is the uh, fact that my friend who suffered anxiety took his own life um, back in, when was this, 2017, and I didn't know it was going to happen. Um, it was unexpected from my point of view, and I was even meant to catch up with him. Like We'd actually been messaging like a few days earlier, but um, because I'd only moved back to New Zealand at the time from Melbourne, um, I was trying to get my personal training business at the time up and running because I was a personal trainer then. And um, yeah, I was just, you know, overwhelmed with all this new stuff happening in my life. So I was like not really putting that as an urgent matter in terms of catching up with my friend Caleb. And in short, you know, got them got a call from some mutual friends a few days later, and he'd taken his life. Of course, you know, really sad moment for me. But um, it also, as well, was an inspiring moment for me in terms of the gift that he gave me, um, which is inspiration to not just be more open about mental health conversations, which at the time was pretty much non-existent. I just started speaking about my, like the fact that I suffered depression because at the time anxiety hadn't really triggered properly for me then. Um, Even though I'd had a couple of panic attacks, but it wasn't upfront for me. I didn't know that was the case at the the time. And I just started being blatant about what I was struggling with. And people were really put off by it. Like, I'd just share it very openly. And, you know, like, oh, man, it's been a rough day. When they asked me how I was, I'm like, you know, I've been a bit depressed today. And they'd be quite almost taken back because it just used to be me saying, yeah, I'm all good. (laughs) (laughs) um so they didn't they didn't know how to like um i guess approach that and i wasn't expecting empathy but i just wanted to be real and honest because caleb was unfortunately not real and honest you know enough it, it seems um you know that to the point where um actually no i take that back he was real and honest enough to actually share when he was struggling but i guess my problem was the fact that um i didn't there was like a disconnect so it was open but i never got to uh an opportunity to go and sit down with him when those moments came up unfortunately so ultimately i thought by being more open about my issues and my challenges that hopefully it would inspire others to do the same and that these conversations would become more normal rather than off-putting so that was another big reason why i went down that path and of course as you can imagine the more i went down that path the more Um, inspired, I became about helping people that also suffered from anxiety because I became one of them very soon after. Um, I
1: love it, man. And I think like everyone in some way, shape or form probably suffers with something or struggles with something. And especially men, I think we're not great at talking about our feelings and emotions and, you know, we try and hide it or try and get on with it and try and fix it ourselves. Mm. You know, I want to, you're very knowledgeable in a bunch of different areas. I know, you You know, you're meditating, you do, uh, you do ice baths, yeah. you know, you, you're doing breathing, you, you know, you know, all the science behind it. Like you, you're obviously like super switched on across all of these different areas. Let's like look at the the layman's person, right? Let's, let's look at me for example. So I am trying to optimize for, um, you know, happiness, uh, overall like energy, uh, de- de-stressing, you know, moving through anxiety and sort of social settings, I'm a bit of an introverted heart. You know the things I've worked on recently, primarily is like eating healthier and and going to the gym, right? There's sort of two and sleep, right? We know that's sort of core importance. Where would you point someone to start with, in like all these other things that you've got going on, whether it be, as I said, you know, the the ice baths, meditation, I meditate as well, I journal. Like I feel as though like I'm doing a, a range of things. But what what do you think is like the biggest thing or biggest few things that you know, you've seen make the biggest impact for someone that's like, I want to make a difference in my life. I want to get
0: better. Where do I start? Um, let's keep it simple to your point. I think this is a great question and needed question, especially after um, like the beautiful things we've been talking about so far, but can it like to your point be overwhelming? So keeping it simple, the main four things is sleep, food, nature, exercise. I say nature because people don't realize how tied your genes are actually to the cycles of uh, the sun for example light exposure when light's not available in terms of your body temperature itself in terms of the way it fluctuates with the 24-hour clock Mm -hmm. of the way that the world spins as well so 80 percent of your genes are actually called what or titled what are called clock genes meaning they operate and are influenced by your circadian rhythm so they turn on and off based on that and your circadian rhythm is your 24-hour body clock essentially circa means Mm -hmm. day um so circadian um, rhythm as the sort of the day rhythm of your body. And when you are aligned with sort of like when the sun's coming up, you're um, sort of waking up around that time and you're getting good light exposure through your eyes, um, that'll send the right signals to parts of your brain that will say, Hey, it's time to wake up kids, you know, like, um, I call myself cares just for ease. Um, and uh, let's get going. Let's secrete some nice cortisol and adrenaline and dopamine into the brain and into the body so we can get you moving forward. And then when you see the colors of sort of that sunset color, where it's like orangey, red, yellow, blue, that contrast of colors actually sends signals to the brain if this is the evening time that is, because it sends a different signal if you're looking at this kind of light in the morning, the two, hey, it's time to start winding down. Let's secrete some melatonin. Let's make, let's secrete some uh, more adenosine, which is sleep hunger. And it will help me to start to feel tired and ready for bed, right? So these kinds of things are very important, actually, um, that also tie into um, overall well-being. So to start with, sleep, if you can optimize your sleep, which actually ties into optimizing your contact with nature, which just means, grounding more often, so touching nature in some way, where it's barefoot on the grass, or I don't like, you know, see the tree huggers out there, you don't need to go do this shit <laughs> like that, don't worry, but at the very least, getting in contact with the planet in some way, whether it's in sea water or whether it's um, touching grass is actually a physiological response where inflammation comes down. There's an interesting thing, which I don't understand enough about, to be honest, but there's an exchange of electrodes that occurs between the body and the planet when you get in physical touch with the planet, which helps the body to reduce inflammation. That's sort of what triggers it. But
1: that's funny, man. Mm. kids. Just quickly, like that's super funny because, like, you know, you're, you're a Kiwi. I'm from Tasmania. Like, we grew up, you know, the cheesiest sounds on grass. Yeah, like, that's all shows. Like, like in Launceston. You literally are not allowed to build a building higher than three stories. Yeah, like there was there was true. one guy that tried, and everyone like the the council like shut it down. Like there's <laughs> just not it's, it's not allowed to be like commercial in Tasmania. It's all grass, and like there's something about going to the beach. Or going to the park or just going like in nature They're just like or camping, right? There's something about that when you're just out in nature that's just like relaxing mm. and you feel de-stressed and you sort of forget about all the worries of the world. It's it's funny that there's genuinely like a sort of science behind that. There
0: really is. Also also as well, the um the way that your the oxygen um ions charge differently, they negatively charge. In such a way where, when you breathe in these oxygen ions, which are which happens when water sort of clashes a so waves from the water or water falls itself. If, if you've ever breathed around a waterfall, it feels fresher. It's the reason why is because these ions, oxygen ions, are negatively charged, or even they. I've read some science articles that said super negatively charged, which is yeah. very unscientific. Anyway, um, <laughs> it's, it's based on the um, the friction that's occurring during this sort of um, flow of water and um, when you breathe in these ox- these oxygen ions um, just by inhaling around that type of water when it's moving a river or anything like this um, you'll feel very fueled in, o- in terms of oxygen and some doctors have even titled it as a natural antidepressant when you spend time around waterfalls or rivers or yeah. um, like flowing rivers or waves or things like that just because of the way that when you breathe in these negatively charged oxygen ions oh god that's a mouthful um <laughs> uh it can help i don't know the connection enough because i this is while i read this article but um the i know that there's a connection to serotonin which depression um partly by definition is a lack of or insufficient amount of serotonin or capability to utilize enough serotonin and um this is one way that you can enhance that but just to that point like that's only a portion of it right is just get yourself in touch with nature once a day if you can um Do some deep breathing once a day, if you can Um, exercise um, three or four times a week. If you can Um, eat the best you can and sleep the best you can. That's literally like the basics, the stuff that if everyone's doing um, to the best of their ability with what they have, um, I think everyone in general would be better off anyway. Um, And that should be the basics that people should focus on. And they shouldn't even look at all this crazy fasting stuff and all this other stuff until they just get the basics sorted. Um, That's my opinion anyway. I love that. As you are talking,
2: I was getting this imagery and thinking through what I do in nature and the things for me are is cold water from just in general, but mainly nature or breathing in forests. So probably a month ago, I was going really hard at work. It was about 8 p.m. and I'd absolutely crack the fucking shits. I'm like, fuck this, fuck everyone. You're all pieces of shit. Fucking just it, throwing it in I the towel. It. Ben, ben can get fucked. So I went yeah. to the beach, right? APM went to the beach. And there's just something about breathing in the air, putting my feet in the cold water, hearing the waves crash. That in five minutes, I was already calm. And it was unbelievable. Or even when I go outside every morning, water the plants, I'll be wearing thongs and I'll just put water on my feet. And then oh, when amazing. I walk over the grass, I'll take the thongs off and I'll walk across or I live quite close to the hills. So I'll go for a walk up there and just after like 20 minutes of just breathing in listening to the sounds or going for a walk without my phone or not listening to a podcast, just resets everything for me. And it lasts for days. It's absolutely incredible.
0: That's incredible. And I totally relate, mate. I really do. Um, I used to, when I was really suffering at the peak of my depression, anxiety period, which lasted a few years, um, I would go to waterfalls nearly every single week, not sort of knowing any of this stuff, by the way, just um, based on the fact that I'd, Always felt better after spending some time at a waterfall, doing some weird warrior shit where I would just like yell under a waterfall <laughs> because it just felt so good. Um, yeah. But it's actually what I didn't realize is a form of somatic therapy, which is another form of therapy. And then I'd meditate for about forty to fifty to sixty minutes, and then I'd just feel amazing. And that, to your point, like would just reset me for like an entire week. And I'd just and I'd feel off if I didn't do that every week. At that point in my life, anyway, like now yeah. it's not required. But yeah, it's it's just such a beautiful. Um, yeah uh thing to bring into one's routine you know and like just finding the ways that work for you i think is so important
2: and you have a cracking photo on your website as well of you like near a waterfall just looking zen af mate just meditating you look at fit it looks amazing yeah. i'm like <laughs> i need more of that in my life yeah <laughs>
0: it's a vibe mate switzerland mate that's where it all, all the good stuff is or south island of new zealand has some good stuff as well i've seen from what i've seen yeah I, i'm always waterfall hunting mate whenever i go to a new place bali is another great one um but whenever i to a new place i'm like searching frantically for like the closest waterfalls just because i enjoy being around them yeah
1: because I want to dive into like the science behind meditating, you know, mm. I've, I've been, because I've been in meditation, I've been meditating for five, six years now, it's a core cool part of my day, every morning, um, I, I've done a Vedic meditation course, so i use awesome. apps, I've done it on my own, a bunch of different stuff, I find now it's just, uh, just a, a bit of peace and quiet in the morning where I can sort of think and reflect and sort of let everything air out. What, what's going on in your brain when you're sitting down, whether it be deep breathing or meditating, like for you know, for, for a period of time, what is it doing
0: to your brain and what are the benefits of it? So it depends what way you're meditating. So for example, if you're doing some form of focus meditation, it will certainly trigger stimulation in your prefrontal cortex. So the big meaty part of your brain at the front, that's um, essential for planning and acting on plans Um, or also as well, processing um, a massive amount of information as well. So, As you stimulate this because of the fact that you may be focusing on your breathing or you're focusing on a body scan or whatnot, this will stimulate strong activity there. Now, what starts to happen as well during meditation is most meditations, unless you're trying to process some form of trauma, will downregulate, which basically means to decrease activity of um, activity in what's called your Amygdala. Um, So you guys might have heard of this, but I don't know if everyone on this um, who's listening might have, but amygdala comes after the word almond in Latin um, (laughs) just because it's the size and shape of an almond in your brain. Um, So what this does is is it's actually titled your threat detection center. So when you're out in the woods and you see a tiger, not saying anyone here has, but it will trigger, right? When you're um, going through a breakup, it'll trigger. When you're thinking about having a difficult conversation, it will trigger. When you you suddenly get panicked, like panic ongoing and it's just on set randomly, um, it'll trigger, right? So the amygdala is designed to detect threats and to then um, trigger secretion of adrenaline from your brainstem um, into your brain and body and to then uh, send you into a fight or flight state so you can react accordingly based on whatever you're conditioned to do in that moment. So for example, um, back in the day when I was struggling with anxiety, my uh, reaction was two, uh, scary situations was to react with anxiety and to react with panic. But then you can recondition that over time. Right. Um, but what meditation does is if I'm sitting there for a good amount of time, my brain starts to recognize it's safe. Um, even something as simple as just following the breath or, um, even rec- recon, oh man, my brain's not working hundred percent right now. Reconsolidate. <laughs> can you say that? Re Ah, <laughs> reconsolid- oh. it's not coming, man. It's not coming. I'm just <laughs> going to ditch that word. But <laughs> <a moment. laughs> yeah, yeah. Reconciled. Oh God, no, it's not saying. I know the word in my <laughs> mind. It's just not connecting. It's my fast mate. I get it. Um, but anyway, that word aside, it's um, allowing me to, um, in whatever sense I'm doing that meditation, other than the trauma focused meditation, it'll reduce activity in this amygdala, the threat detection center. And therefore it will allow me to decrease the amount of adrenaline and cortisol, your stress hormone in the body. Which will give me a calmer state so if i take this state which ideally meditation is done in the morning it doesn't have to be but it will set me up as well to manage then and to take on more stressful situations more easily because i now have a greater capacity purely because of the fact that i've got a decreased activity amygdala which then puts me in a situation where I'm less reactive because I'm less in a stressed state to go about my day which is why meditation in the morning can be very very helpful so this is just um some of the basics behind meditation of course there's so many other ways to approach it I mean um uh like I mentioned earlier the whole trauma focused meditation which would do something completely different which would really trigger your amygdala but the purpose is is to actually um, give yourself an opportunity to process it um which is just a whole nother conversation but yeah hopefully that is insightful That's epic, man.
1: Uh, It's so much, uh, it makes so much sense. I mean, like for me, like if I'm not meditating in the morning and I just found the day, I'm I'm cloudy. Mm. I'm I'm not really being able to manage, you know, things that pop up and challenges and stresses of every day. So like, it makes total sense. Mm. One thing I'm trying to implement is like an afternoon sort of reset, because I find by the end of the afternoon there's been so much stimulation throughout the day that you, you sort of get that brain fog. And then I can't really concentrate in the afternoon where I found if I take a, even a five, 10 minute sort of just quick reset, it just allows the brain to sort of like, like flush out all the all the crap and sort of start again. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. it's, a, it's a, it's an amazing way to enhance performance. Yeah. Oh, no, I know. Absolutely.
0: Absolutely. And also the yeah. word I was um, looking for was reconcile and I can't like yeah, it, can the, it, <laughs> in the point, <laughs> reconsolidate like, like something like that. Anyway, you get my point. That was the word I was looking like, yeah, cool. for. Yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Um,
1: Mate, I want to take a bit of a di- different direction because mm. you and I were sort of on a similar path when we met up in in uh, Minneapolis. You then moved to, and I forget where was it Italy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So you were on this, you know, sort of self-discovery journey. Still on that, I, yeah. I feel as though like we're all going through that in, in different ways mm. or, or forms. So I really loved watching your content around. Thanks, like mate. you were just in the middle of Italy. So when we caught thing, up as well. I remember that. It yeah, was, yeah. yeah. yeah, yeah. N- not giving a fuck, like just doing your thing on your own. I was like, and I've been doing that now for the, like the last, you know, six or so months. I want to like dig into what it's like for you traveling alone. What are the things that you've, your challenges you face when, when spending time on your own in another country? What are the benefits of that? And just like, I know you're back in New Zealand at the moment. What's next for you? Like, what, uh, what, what do you love about just being on your own, man, and, and doing your own thing?
0: There's a lot there, man. Um, so, I'll answer the aloneness part first, because that actually is the reason why I continue to uh, be open to, you know, moving to different places. I, when depressed, really suffered loneliness, regardless of whether I was on my own or whether I was with other people. And uh, loneliness by definition is um, the emotion or the feeling that one has rather than actually um, the situation, because that's more aloneness. So I can be, alone or with people and feel loneliness. And I would experience this constantly, just based on the fact that I didn't feel a sense of connection, I didn't feel heard, I didn't feel seen, not just by others and those around me, but I reacted to that in a way where I couldn't then see and hear myself. Um, Now, this sounds very almost like woo-woo, like in the way I say that, but the point is, is what ended up actually... Uh, shifting this for me um, because loneliness is actually a strong symptom that is experienced by those that are depressed as well. Like there's a strong connection. So if those that are listening to this and I'm like, I suffer loneliness constantly, that could be a symptom for sure. Like it's something to look into for sure. Um, But um I started spending more time alone to overcome this because I realized, all right, the thing that I'm afraid of, I need to expose myself to that thing in order to be okay with that thing so that therefore I no longer get anxiety about what if I get this thing, right? So I realized a lot of my anxiety in relationships, for example, was coming from my fear of loneliness because I hated feeling that way, obviously, as most people do, right? But then over time, I learned to experience loneliness and aloneness. So being alone, feeling lonely and learning to be okay by meditating on it funnily enough right and by spending more time in meditation spending that time there with loneliness i was practicing what's called exposure therapy same way as the way i overcame my fear of heights by you know climbing a tree then climbing a mountain then um bungee jumping and skydiving doing all the crazy things but you know practicing exposing myself to those things in a sort of incremental way um which is in a way uh aligned with a beautiful practice called sud for short or subjective units of distress so it's under, undergoing like what is your sort of max level distress of what it that is so mine was like loneliness or being alone always no one liking me blah 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 right it's a hundred and then zero would be like everyone loves me I'm respected as how you know I'm always with people blah blah right and then what is like a 10 then what is a 20 what is a 30 and working my way up to that hundred with the heights it was like climbing a tree was like you know 10 or 20 or something and then like you know bungee jumping was way up at like 60 or 70 and skydiving for me was like a hundred was my worst fear ever um, right so the point is I worked my way up through those suge- subjective units of distress allowing me to slowly expose exposure therapy to myself to those things so when um, I'd spend more time alone firstly just by doing self trips like solo trips just away um, in New Zealand like I'd already spent some time in Australia when I was studying and so forth so I'd spent some time alone there but it was a little less conscious in terms of the way I did it but this was more conscious and then over time that developed into me you know going overseas Initially, I went overseas trying to run away from my problems, but in running away from my problems, I was met head on with them again when I was in um, Quebec at the time in Canada. And then I made my move to Bali just because I'd heard so many good things about it. It looks like a cool self-development place, right? And a lot of digital nomads were there, so I thought, oh, I'd feel less lonely here, right? I met, made my way there, and that's when like I started to really delve deep into my meditation and more into like the spirituality kind of thing that I was really resistant to because The word chakra freaked the shit out of me. (laughs) (laughs) Um, But, um, you know, I opened myself up to it and learned a lot about like breath work and all these other things and spent a lot more time alone and then eventually went into extreme aloneness and a practice called Vipassana. Which is ten days of silence, 100 hours of meditation in those ten days. We're not talking to anyone. You're not looking at anyone in the eye. You don't have a book. You're not allowed to read. You're not allowed to write. Nothing. Just purely meditating for those, you know, ten days essentially over the course of 100 hours within those ten days. And I'm doing my second one soon. So in terms of next steps, but these are like ways that I like to face that sort of fear of loneliness to then not suffer that fear in relationships when someone um, is perceptively from my perception, they, they're probably not even intending it. And in fact, it's very unlikely they are, but they might be like say doing something like if I'm in a relationship with a girl and they're talking to a guy in the past. I got really jealous because it's like, Oh, they might leave me for this guy because he might be better than me. But that was based on the fear of if they leave me, I'll feel lonely. And when I overcame or still overcoming, I should say, but overcame the majority of that fear, Right, by spending more time in that, it made me less anxious about the what if um, this happens and that leads me to that feeling. Which ties me into this last point, which is we're not really afraid of the thing, it's the feeling that we're afraid of. When you get on a skateboard, you're not afraid of the skateboard, you're afraid of falling off the skateboard and it damn well hurting, right? So if you were to then cater to the pain point of falling off the skateboard, which is if we wear like a juggernaut suit, which is like that marshmallow suit, right? And you fall off and it doesn't hurt, It's like, oh, I'm no longer afraid of skateboarding. Why? Not because a skateboard became friends with you, right? It's because all of a sudden you were content with the idea that falling off wouldn't hurt. So all of a sudden, if I'm no longer afraid of the end point of the pain, which is, oh, if I'm no longer afraid of loneliness because I faced it, and I've become okay and content with the idea of it, which doesn't take away from my desire to create relationships, by the way. But it allows me then to not ruminate as much on, oh, if they leave me then I will f- feel this loneliness and then I get anxious and then it become possessive, which is what happened in the past for me, right? And it allows me to alleviate those symptoms and then also reduce how intense that anxiousness around that is. But I know that sort of veered off a bit, but yeah, hopefully. No, that's, that's, that's
2: amazing. I love the um, exposure therapy and yeah. sub- was it subjective units of distress? Mm. That's that's like, I'm going to use that because that that is cool. amazing. And, you know, incrementally exposing yourself to something and just the way you were talking about being alone and it's the worst thing. And it's so true that things are for me at least almost hundred percent of the time worse in my head than they are mm. in reality. And mm. when you start to worry about that, you end up like suffering twice, which is yeah, like the definitely. dumbest thing. And Ben definitely. always seems say it's like things are never as good or as bad as you think. Yeah. And mm. I'm really just wondering, man, like you've so aloneness was or feeling lonely is a really difficult thing and it was the most challenging thing that you had. And you kind of went up that ladder and you started to go through and expose yourself to it and I guess become more comfortable with it and notice your reaction to it. And then you've gone kind of to the extreme with like Vipassana and, uh, you know, 10 days uh, silent meditation, which I could imagine is just incredibly difficult but rewarding. Mm. And I'm wondering like all this nomading, like that would be a very fearful thing for you in the past have you actually come to enjoy it and seek it out now?
0: I have. Yeah. There's an, it's interesting because I've found so much as you pointed out comfort, um, because it's firstly, it's got to be safe, which will give me comfort. So, um, that's the interesting thing about exposure. It allows me to start to learn how to see that. Oh, this is safe, which then brings a feeling of comfort, but the cost to that is that because I became more comfortable in the loneliness, I started to veer away from uh, relationships a little bit more yeah. and even, especially deep relationships. Cause it's like, Oh wow, there can be so much turmoil here. Why would I get into like a deep relationship? Right? So that's what started to happen. And then now I've just found a balance with that. But um, yeah, to your point, absolutely. Um, sorry. What was the that question with that? Yeah.
2: So loneliness was
0: something that you were kind
2: of, um, you know, avoiding and you didn't want to feel it, but then you did exposure therapy and then you went like right to the extreme, like traveling and nomading. And I'm just wondering like, is nomading after you've gone through all that exposure, actually something that you like and enjoy or is it more of just a kind of, you know, practice to keep yourself, you know, um,
0: mentally fit for the loneliness challenges that you have? Yeah, it's both, mate. Yeah, so like, as I mentioned, um, definitely I feel comfortable there now. It's finding that balance, but at the same time, yeah, I do find myself... Um, enjoying the aloneness. Like I'm excited for Vipassana, even though my last Vipassana was literally, even though all these other physical things have happened, you know, like in terms of death or biological issues, you know, like health issues. That Vipassana was in 2021 at the very start of the year, was the hardest thing I've ever done in my life. Um, Just because of the fact that, After all these like years of meditating and like sort of working through stuff, I'd never been able to actually have true time to sit with these things long enough to unpack the deeper things or the deeper reasons why these were there in the first place. Like there was like a deeper thing that was there and I was able to finally actually sit with that. And it became so difficult because I experienced that on day three. I'm like, holy shit. I've got another seven freaking days <laughs> of being exposed to this with no distractions, right? Um, no music, no anime. I love my anime, no people, right? Nothing. Um, not even like some delicious food, like the food was decent, but it's not amazing. Um, you know, so I couldn't distract myself and it was a very scary thing and it was very overwhelming. There were many moments when my mind was, you know, um, talking to me saying, come on, Karen, just get out of here. You know, it's okay. You've done enough, like these kinds of things, right? And you just, I just overcame those thoughts, but, um, I'm a, as you mentioned, it was the most rewarding thing I've ever done as well, because of the fact that it was the most challenging. So that's why I'm excited for this next um, yeah. step as well, for sure. Mm-hmm. It's fascinating where we don't allow ourselves
2: time to just sit and do nothing and mm-hmm. allow those thoughts to surface. It's always I have to be here, I have to work, I have to do this thing or be with my friends. It's always distraction. I have to be on my phone, totally. and that's I can imagine that's an incredibly challenging thing to do and my sister-in-law went on one of these and she actually went away to oh. a place to do it. Is that what yes. you do? That's right. Yeah. So there's oh, actually, can you sentence. talk us through the
0: days, like the setup and how it actually works? What happened? Oh <laughs> yeah. What <laughs> happened? Yeah. Um, so you can go on to, it's literally, um, the easiest thing to access once you know about it. Um, if you go to, I think it's dharma.org. So it's D H A R M A. Dot org. I think if I remember correctly, um, i'll find yeah no so it's not that exactly but um i believe it's um i can send you the link and then you can yeah we'll put in the show notes yeah 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 so anyway it's um if you literally just searched for parsena anyway which is v-i-p-a-n god my brain's not working Uh, yeah exactly (laughs) yeah yeah um then you'll be able to find it anyway um The, uh, there are thousands from my understanding, or at least a thousand anyway, for passing centers all through the world. There's one just north of Auckland where we are. I think there's like four or five in Australia, Um, but they're everywhere. And these centers are actually free to go to. um, What if you can get a slot that is, um, which is completely free, by the way, to do so as well. And how it works is, and the reason why I'll talk about the history briefly, and then I'll talk about the um, actual practice, but. The history is that um, the Buddha, Gautama Siddhartha, which is um, his actual name, um, then got called the Buddha, even though there's been thousands of other Buddhas before him and after him, which essentially just means Buddha. Buddha is um, mind and da is above, so meaning he has transcended his mind. Um, And then buddho is anyone that's sort of living as a slave of their mind. right? So essentially when someone becomes a buddha or gets... Called a Buddha, is because they've transcended their mind or become liberated. And Dharma, um, which is the word I used earlier, is sort of the gift of liberation. And he wants to give Dharma to as many people as possible. And this was 2,600 years ago when he lived. You can sort of research his history, it's real interesting. Um, And he uh, uncovered this practice. That he called Vipassana and so he started taking people in for 10 days at a time into the center and he would teach them meditation and a certain style of meditation the Vipassana meditation and it's very simple it's actually very straightforward but it's just the fact that you're exposed to meditativeness or insight for such a prolonged period of time with the focus of building an ability to focus and then also an ability to unpack and through those two simple abilities that you're building, um, you're learning how to then also become non-reactive. So in the ability to be non-reactive to my sensations, um, which is essentially the goal of the whole practice, um, then I now become capable of being, quote-unquote, liberated from my mind because when my mind tells me something, I'm like, ah, that's okay. You can do your thing. I don't need to be phased by you, right? That's oh. the sort of response that I get to develop through this practice we call Vipassana. And that's the, that's the sort of a, idea behind the practice. But... How it works um, is you sort of go along, you do this 10 days, if you complete it and you got something out of it, you can donate money and that's how they keep the, th- the centers going and things like that. Um, so some people donate a lot. Some people donate. Are you little. like sitting
1: in a room? Yep. Are you like sitting, is this like dark pitch black for a week? Like t- are you sitting on the floor?
0: So, are you okay, laying okay. down? Yeah. Are you in
2: a chair? Like, talk t- talk like, us through step by step. Through. You rock yeah, up. Yeah, yeah. You just so you, drop you you rock off up. there. Yep. And what happens? Yeah.
0: Yeah. Yep. And then um, they introduce you to people and things like that. So you're still talking then. And then I think it's yeah. around like 5 p.m. or 6 p.m. after you've eaten some food. Um, they go, okay, cool. No talking starts now. Now it's like, you know, 10 days of no talking and you're not looking at anyone in the eye. The only person you can look in the eye is the teacher. Um, or the uh, assistant teacher, and that's it. And the men are divided into w- like one co- um, like area, and then the women are divided into another, so there's no distractions, right? Um, okay. That's the idea. Is it and just like one room, or you have your own sleeping areas? Or So the eating rooms are separate with the men and women. Um, you've got your own, what they call a cell, which is your own sleeping room. Um, and the reason why they call it a cell is quite literally that's what it was termed back then, because it would just be like the small room, which it is. It's literally like, in terms of the size... How long was it? I think it's only like five meters long, like three meters wide. It's this tiny little room. It's got like a single bed on it. It's got a, sh- a few shelves. It's not even five meters long. Maybe like three or four meters long. And yeah. um, it's this tiny little room. And you're sleeping on a single bed. You meditate there a lot because there's times when you're you're meditating on your own if you want to, or you can optionally use the meditation hall. Now the meditation hall is somewhere where everyone gathers, even the women, men and women together, and we get guided through the practice. So every time they're sort of Going through a group meditation, which happens about three or four times a day. Um, you'd go to the hall and you'd do a one-hour meditation. And um, each meditation is usually about one hour and then you get like a five-minute break and then it's one hour then five-minute break kind of thing. And then you'll get lunch wow. and then you'll have like dinner or whatever. Um, but because I'm going a second time, I'm technically called an old student, so I don't get given dinner. So i only get breakfast and I'll get lunch and then I get tea at dinner time and that'll be it. But um, as a new student, if you go the first time, you get fruit in the evening as well. But that's sort of the process. Um, so the reason... Be- why you're doing all this, I know, you're right. I'll just quickly finish this. Um, <laughs> Ben's pointed yeah, yeah, away, look, yeah, at, him, look yeah, at his yeah. head. <laughs> yeah. So the reason why you're doing this is because um, the idea behind Vipassana is how can we make this as difficult for people as possible? So they are forced to face all the temptations, all the desires of their mind as possible. So they can learn how to be non-reactive and non-responsive to those. So they can learn how to find their own support within themselves without needing those things that they're clinging to. I like this because also it's like that will be a lot harder than
2: anything you'll go through in your daily life in general. And you can lean on that. It's like David Goggins talks about going back into the cookie jar, just getting those memories, right? And my sister-in-law told me like um, it was quite the same experience for her. And she said people were like breaking down and crying
0: and people left. Do you see all that kind of stuff as well? Definitely, definitely. People leave. Yeah, yeah. Um, I was actually quite surprised because normally I think I can't remember the percentage, but normally about 30%, I think, leave by the end, um, which is actually a smaller number than I expected, to be honest. But there are a lot of people that naively go, and the way it was where I met people that hadn't meditated at all and went through the whole thing. I was so impressed. But what I noticed is when I'd have conversations with them compared to the conversations I'd have with experienced meditators who did it, was they didn't get much out of it. So it's because they'd exposed themselves to a practice that they weren't yet familiar with. They didn't know how to actually focus on the practice and they hadn't had experience in meditation. So even though they were able to just be there and do the practice, they were sort of going through the motions and it didn't really get as hard as it would if someone unpacked their trauma truly because they are able to go so yeah. deep enough into their meditation, which requires, I think, some practice at least in meditation before you do it. So um, I think that's why the dropout rate wasn't as much as I expected. But yeah, when I was there, I think only like... left or something like that which is actually quite a small number so yeah wow
1: and are you like like I'm just I'm trying to pitch this in my head this sounds insane are you you going outside for walks during the day are you working out in the morning or is it just purely like it sounds like what's it called um
0: Uh, in in like jail when you get thrown into like the yeah that's the idea man that's the idea you're being put in like a prison which is why they call it a cell essentially um but yeah it's again it's just how can we make these people uh like face their suffering in a head-on way that's essentially it um do you go outside yep so there's an outside area so your cell Your cell, your room, um, is, so there's men's dormitories and then the woman's dormitories is so like on the other side yeah. of the eating hall. So you can't like really get in contact with each other unless you're in the group meditation room. And that's the only time you see them, but you never look at them because you don't look at look at you in the eye and yeah. But anyway, the, um, idea is you're, um, in these sort of rooms and you can go out anytime. Um, even when you're meant to be meditating, some people, and I did this too, like you just get up and you just go outside to get some fresh air and like walk around a bit, um, and it's basically put on this like piece of land in the middle of nowhere um it, yeah it's, it's not far from civilization but some like i don't know there's some in thailand that you can go for example that are like they're very far out and they like just cool like real exp- like cool ex- spiritual experience for a lot of people but the idea is that you're not allowed to leave the land during those 10 days and you stay on it so there's a little walk path that is literally i think the entire walkway is like eighteen meters, just sort of into the forest area that this that's sort of part of their land, and other than that, is you're just doing the same walk like every break you get because there's nothing else to do. Um, so um, when you get like this, like one and a half or two hour break for lunch, I think it is during the middle of the day. You eat your lunch, then you go outside and you just walk up and down <laughs> for like an hour. Wow. <laughs> the same little like patch of field, or like sometimes you, you get, just do the little walkway, or yeah, you get yard time, and, mate. In prison, yeah, literally, <laughs> literally that's what it is. Yeah,
2: they're literally creating the conditions so yeah. those deeper
0: things surface, which is correct. amazing, correct? That's the this idea behind so it, yeah. But that's what that's what a lot of people don't see is they see like, oh, prison, like that's like, you know, why would I do that? Um, which is understandable, you know, that's their perception, but um, yeah, like my experience has been, and to your perception as well, um, has been a it's more of like a liberating experience based on the fact that i can go so deep within myself in such a um, way where i can learn and uncover and unpack ways to support myself without the need for a phone device without the need of like a tinder app or like uh, like sex or like you know or like drinking or smoking or any of these things and i can use that support going forward in my life that's a fantastic thing um, but just Amazing. remembering that as well. Um, this is a one of 10 days. Um, I've lost some of what I've actually, I actually built during those 10 days based on the fact that I was, I lost some consistency with how much I meditated and how deeply I meditated over those last two years since then. Um, like I did my own self for passina for three days, booked out a place and like spent 72 hours there. Um, but it's just not the same, mate. Like I'm that's why I'm doing another one. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, and I imagine all those other people spur you on as well. Yeah. Um, yeah. Definitely. Yeah.
2: Now, before we before we move on to crypto, which I'm very excited about, I've got a question around any kind of um, book or material recommendations for anyone that's listening to this pod. So specifically around like um, meditation and spirituality, and some of the ones that come to mind for me, like the kind of easygoing ones, are Siddhartha or the monk who sold his Ferrari. Ooh, I'm just yes. wondering if yeah, if you have any recommendations on books or materials that mm. the podcast listeners can go away and grab that
0: will potentially expose them to this or benefit their lives? Yeah, totally. So um, one that I haven't yet read because I still need to buy it, but I really want to listen, um, read it is The Science of Meditation, How to Change Your Brain, Mind and Body. It's a book by Daniel Goleman and Richard Davidson. Um, There's two scientists that um, have done a lot of uh, research around meditation. Um, so it's something that I personally want to read because that'll be a great way to understand meditation um, in terms of like the sciencey stuff, if that's their interest. Um, but in terms of more like um, easy reading type sort of books. I honestly don't know much, honestly. Um, like I've read a couple of Sadhguru's books. Um, Sadhguru is a um, spiritual leader um, from India. And he, I believe, is like in the top 50 most influential men from India. And, in, you know, India's well, a country of like 2 billion or something. Uh, so yeah. saying something, right? But essentially like, you know, the, the, his teachings have, um, which are also quite controversial to many, but have really helped a lot of people to, get into their meditations and like um like learn a lot about their own self in that sort of insightful way and uh, he certainly helped me as well like just from some of his teachings that i did like anyway and would go deeper into them so i read a couple of his books so s-a-d-h-g-u-r-u um but other than that mate, like most of my stuff has come from experience or from like my own personal interactions with like monks or I'm like when I was in Thailand, which is real beautiful or like going to like this monk retreat when I was in Bali or, um, the Vipassana itself. Um, but also as well, listening to sometimes podcasts by like Sadhguru or like Muji Baba is a good one. M O O J I, he like logically helps one to sort of grasp this experience of separateness between like the awareness and the mind and body. It's like quite beautiful in terms of the way he teaches people. So I quite like that. Um, and then some people enjoy people like um, he's a Vietnamese Buddhist monk called Thai Nhat Han um, T-I-C-H, wait right, T-H-I-C-H space N-A-H-T space H-A-N-H. I'm surprised I got that because my mind's not working properly right now. Um, but he's um, real beautiful in the way he speaks, and it sort of breaks down things in quite a digestible way as well in terms of understanding meditativeness. Um, yeah, so there's different people out there that some people, different people vibe with. That's amazing, man. I'll
2: chuck those in the show notes. I'll look those yeah. up. That's I'm, that's on my list as well, man. I'm gonna get awesome. into that. <laughs> yeah,
1: yeah. Um, kids. Uh, so crypto. We met at a crypto conference. We did. Gary Vee's crypto conference. A little bit different times back then, man. The market was uh, maybe a little bit more frothy than than back then. This was was it? A, it must have been a year ago. Uh, you know, a year or so ago, Minneapolis. Yeah,
0: May um 2022. Yeah.
1: Yeah, yeah. Yeah. Where, where are you currently at, mate? Are you still, you know, spending a bit of time in crypto? I know you were collecting some NFTs back then. What's your sort of current, uh, current strategy? Are you out? Are you, you throwing the towel? You yeah, where I'm you not going to lie, man. Fan? I
0: definitely <laughs> stepped out quite a lot. Like I'm holding on to my V friend no matter what. Um, yep. I'm, um, I've, I've actually just been selling a bunch of the ones that I had at a loss, to be honest, mainly just because, the i'm looking at more of like the roi potential of my business at the moment in terms of pouring money that i could take it as a a loss from that investment and putting it into marketing and then elevating the roi potential of my business there which i believe would bring me back a more of a return in a shorter space of time personally um so these are just personal experiences but then there's some that i see as really like optimal so like for example i'm holding on to my ethereum my bitcoin things like that and then like um my v friend or or like these things but other than that a lot of them i've actually you know um some of them will never come back that i've got um and then some of them i'm just selling out as a loss just based on the fact that i don't see much potential in them compared to like a v friend for example so therefore i'm like okay what might as well sell it as a loss not take the risk and then reinvest that into my business where it's like going to be much less risky um in terms of the potential ri i could get from it so that's just like what i've been doing yeah yeah I,
1: I totally agree man and i sort of you know a big chunk of my crypto probably three years ago to do a similar thing to invest in my business mm. like you know one of the like the be- the good and the bad things about like in- investing in an asset is that you have no control yeah like, you totally. put your money in bitcoin but you literally can do absolutely nothing about the price yeah. right you know, use just sort of uh see then you and you know long term it's going to be you know uh you know probably growth but it's like you've got no idea how long when or you know uh and no control over that but in your business you know, it, it's uh sweat equity, right? Like you can you can true. make an impact straight away. So totally understand. So true. Um we're all V Friends holders and I think that's one of the most beautiful <laughs> things so about cool, NFTs like that. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh access. Berg's a big fan. Uh but you did you end up getting a uh V Friends series one? Yeah, we've with... got uh one, two and book games. <sighs> nice, man. Nice, nice, nice. So for those listeners at home that maybe not big in the NFT space, like NFTs have this amazing ability to get access into communities and memberships and events and this is what Gary Vee's done so well and for the three of us obviously big fans of Gary V and the the utility and value he's adding there through depending on what V friend you have and and what that gives you access to is an amazing way to get you know um a piece or a, additional engagement to your your favorite uh content creators or influencers or you know you know memberships whatever it might be and I think that's one of the best things about about V friends and he holds a, an annual event that Kieran and I went to last year. I'm not sure if you're going this year, mate. I'm not, but um, yeah, no. It was was a wicked event. It was at uh, Minneapolis. NFL Stadium had like, it was like a theme park with amazing speakers. Snoop Dogg was there. And you could only get access if you had an NFT. So it's one of the the cool utility pieces. Yeah, such a cool time.
2: That is so good. And you touched on a really good thing there about rebalancing your portfolio and loss harvesting. So that's a very... um, tax efficient way to do things and people don't want to go through their portfolios and be like, hey, this wasn't a good decision. And you turn that from a paper loss into a real loss where you sell those assets. But you have to think, what is the opportunity cost of that money? And I love how you're Mm. like, right, there's something I can control. It's my business. I'm going to put it into marketing because it's something I can grow and I can carry forward that loss. These are the big boy decisions that people out there need to make and it's very uncomfortable to do. So
0: congratulations for doing that, mate thank you I appreciate that yeah like some of those terms I like had to think for a moment to actually understand them but yeah because like, that's not my world as much but yeah man like um fully um that was it you know it did take a little while to actually think on that stuff like I was sort of clinging to the hope of all oh, maybe it will come back up like right? these like sort of NFTs that didn't have as much support anymore sort of you know weren't um operating in the way that they should in terms of like a business you know like I w- would have hoped in terms of the way that others have been operating so yeah that was definitely um the thought that i had anyway around it hmm. fantastic and right. ben's got a couple of cracking questions here that i All can't right. let you go
2: without asking them this one is amazing can you please discuss the importance of self-compassion and ways to practice it in our daily lives because i struggle with this and yeah. as much as i try to do it and be lenient to myself i'm the harshest self-critic so how can us you know Just average Joes out there
0: practice self-compassion in our daily lives. Yeah, that's a really great question, man. Um, Compassion is something that for me previously came from... Fear of not being liked, so it was false compassion, and therefore I wasn't able to be compassionate to myself because I wasn't projecting proper compassion. And it's actually like a muscle; it's trained. Um, I've experienced anyway from my experience. Some people might say differently, um, but there are some amazing uh, data out there around what's like a practice called loving kindness meditation and what they would, or even loving kindness practices and what they'd actually get people to do. And like, um, I remember there was, I can actually send you guys through the references if you want them for the, um, description. But, um, there was a, um, there was one where they would get people to go around, um, and in their mind project the idea that everyone sucks, right? The judge, them the hell out of everyone. um, every single person that they saw. And then there was people that were just told to keep things mutual. So like just sort of see, oh, that person's wearing a blue top. Oh, that, you know, and just like sort of simple things, uh, neutral things. And then they got a group need to go around and spread loving kindness and they would think like positive things about these people and what they noticed about the subjective, um, their subjective well-being because, you know, they're just internalizing them. It's not like they were saying them to these people, but just by thinking them um, consciously, the, the subjective, subjective well-being was equated to what you can imagine, which is the people that were judging others started to feel crappy about themselves, people that were neutral, nothing much changed, and the people that were spreading loving kindness within their own minds about others uh, naturally experienced enhanced well-being. Um, So it was a very cool study, um, but I need to go back and find it, I'll send it over. But um, the um, idea behind loving kindness is that it sort of ties into this uh, wiring or circuitry around the way we might judge someone. So, or judge ourselves. So one of the ways to work on self-judgment is to practice not judging others. It's a very interesting kind of concept. But um, I myself have been a uh, frantic and uh abusive judger. Um like there's been a <laughs> lot of judgment that I've projected into the world onto other people over my lifespan and I still catch myself doing it here and there. Um even though I've worked on it a hell of a lot. But it's a natural thing to do as a human because we want to be accepted. And one of the quickest ways to be accepted by other people is to bring other people down so that we feel better about ourselves, right? Um so uh that's only a natural thing to do. Like it's easier to throw a bomb into a city and blow up everyone's house over an building then to build your own right even though that's pretty destructive like that's well, it's technically yeah. what we're doing No, our minds um so the idea is okay if i can practice shifting and reframing it's a practice called uh, it's a practice of what's called cognitive behavior therapy if any of you have heard of that out there. Yep. okay now cognitive behavior therapy is just basically a uh, re-experiencing or reprogramming of the way I might think or process something and therefore I will experience it differently as well. And when I reframe a thought that I might have about, oh, that person's fat. Right. And I catch myself thinking that and I go, you know what? And that's okay. And, uh, I see that they're at the gym. That's amazing. That is freaking cool. Right. And I'll catch myself like thinking these things because I was uncomfortable in my body at the time right that's why i got on testosterone back then right because i wanted to be big and like you know then i'll see other guys and they'll be like and i'll be like oh they're definitely on more steroids than i am <laughs> yeah. but like i catch myself doing that and i didn't realize um that that was causing so much so much of that self-judgment at the time and triggering a lot of it it's not all of it but that's definitely a big portion to it right so as i practiced just reframing these judgments i also started to reframe organically the judgments with myself so all of a sudden, when I started to instead of think, um, oh, I'm a bit puffy here, or like, oh, I, I'm a bit small now, or oh, like I, I my, my nose is weird or whatever, i will just start to th- like think a little bit more compassionately about it, just because I'd practice being more compassionate in my thought process with others when I'd catch those judgments that I project within my own mind. So that's definitely a fantastic method to use. And I still use it today because I still catch myself judging. It's very human. It's it's nothing to judge the judgment, right? Because that's just adding and compounding the um, sabotaging effect that we have. That's a big one. Um, And then also practicing something like loving kindness. So um, it's a Buddhist practice actually as well that's tied into Vipassana, that um, we actually learn to do this. Um, I can't remember the exact term or the name of it, but at the very end of your Vipassana, you learn this practice, which is you're just... Giving and sharing uh, happiness and peace with all beings. So it's like you just basically are saying to yourself at the end of your meditation um, may all beings be happy, may all beings be peaceful. May all beings share in my happiness, may all beings share in my peace. And it's just, you're constantly projecting and you're setting a genuine intention around genuinely wanting others to be happy and genuinely wanting others to be peaceful. And if you can learn to do that, and it's just consistency at the start, it won't feel like genuine or at all, you'll be like really forcing it. But over time, that is a way over time, you can find other loving kindness meditations on meditation apps as well, but you can train yourself to be more compassionate to others, which will then teach you how to be more compassionate to yourself. But that's different, by the way, to being um, a doormat, right? Being a doormat is not compassionate. I want to say that, by the way, very quickly, because I used to be a doormat. That's not compassion, right? Being a doormat is actually not compassionate at all to the other person because I'm putting myself in a hole of a situation where I no longer can support the other person. No, you need to build yourself up first, in my opinion, so that you can support the other. Right? That's my opinion. But yeah, that's things. Oh, and gratitude, because it's, um, it's something that can also help compassion. So gratitude practices, yeah
2: that that is amazing and it's you're so right where it's like you're in a plane and you got your kids and you put the oxygen mask on yourself first yeah and totally, it's yeah. so counterintuitive to think cognitively reframe yourself using CBT and think about other people and how you judge them your thoughts about them but then you thinking in
0: that way actually helps yourself yeah exactly how wild exactly incredible? <laughs> it is Isn't so incredible? wild yeah absolutely yeah because the the instinctive thing to do is to judge the person to make myself feel better but yeah. even though in the moment i might feel a bit better about myself moments later when all of a sudden i'm forced to look at the thing i was judging about the other but at myself now i feel triggered because that same energy or same perception is viewed but now within me so a more long-term sustainable practice is to be more okay with the fact that, okay, I won't rip people's buildings down. Okay, I won't try like, you know, make myself feel better by putting others people's down, people down in my in my mind or by gossiping about others, right? And it's just yeah. reframing that and d- to your point, yeah, over time I can and teach it's, myself. It's
2: destructive as well. Mm. Yeah. And, oh mate, I have, I have to just sneak in another question here. Okay. And you seem like the kind of guy that would know something about this. And this is just around <laughs> immunity and boosting it and immune function. And I think a lot of people, me especially um, in the past where we kind of have a family, we have kids, we go to an office every single day, we don't move around a lot, we sit there, you know, our kids will come back with a cold, we'll cop that, we'll get sick, we'll force ourselves to work at home and in the office. And we're not paying too much attention to our health and particularly um, immune function and boosting that so we can um, survive those situations. Have you looked into this or do you do any um, specific things? You mentioned like anti-inflammatories, turmeric, sleep, exercise. Um, what, what's your view on this and and what do you actually practice yourself? Yeah.
0: I mean, um, if you think about your immune system as something that has a finite amount of energy at any given time, um, where is that energy being directed? Is it being directed at um, the fact that I've just eaten some very highly inflammatory food and therefore my digestive tract is very inflamed and therefore um, that's where a lot of, my, um, the um, immune system's focus is going and therefore it's now diverted from the actual sickness or whatever it is that it needs to fight, right? Or therefore it's diverted from something else that um, will support my nervous system. Ultimately, it needs to direct its energy somewhere and it can, will take away from other places, which is why when I get sick, I get tired, not because the sickness is causing fatigue, but because my immune system is now focusing on fighting uh, that illness or whatever it is. And therefore it's taking away from my mitochondrial, my, my mitochondria's capability to, uh, function efficiently, which is basically the membrane in the cell that allows me to, uh, take raw fuel that I'm eating, consuming from the outside world and turning it into actual energy. Um, calorically, calorically, metabolically that I can use. Um, so That was a lot of words, (laughs) but um, ultimately uh, with the immune system support, one way for sure is to be kinder to my body for sure. And when I say kinder, I don't mean decreasing or stressful avenues because stress is important. I need to actually undergo physical stress when I do exercise and when I do ice baths, when I do breath work. These things are important. Um, and when and then also I need to balance it with a lack of stress like meditation, right, yoga, and sleep. right. So I need to balance that. So I do need injections of stress, but I need times where stress is low because that allows for what's called heart rate variability, which helps, by the way, I'm not exactly sure too much about the connection. I don't know enough about heart rate variability in that sense, but I know there is a connection between High heart rate variability, which is seen in much fitter people, um, and their ability to fight off illnesses and to um, feel energetic and to recover quicker and things like that. The main things that have helped me in terms of uh, supporting my immune system are. Um, actually injecting healthy levels of stress so exercise of course ice baths in the morning breath work in the morning in fact i remember there were some studies done on wim Hof, right the ice man right the yeah, yeah yeah of like breath work um he they did a study i think there was like um a, around about a thousand participants and they all got injected with e coli which is when you get like barley belly or you get sick in another country that's quite a common one um and it's a sort of like uh, bacteria that um makes you very sick and you from your stomach And he did nothing but breath work. And there was a whole group of participants that took antibiotics. And interestingly enough, even though the ones that the group that didn't take antibiotics and didn't breathe, obviously, they experienced the worst symptoms. The ones that took antibiotics obviously recovered. But Wim Hof um, recovered much quicker than all of them. He didn't even get the symptoms of sickness, um, and uh, yeah, this will happen in a much shorter frame of time compared to the people that took antibiotics, which is really interesting. But that just goes to show that the injection of stress allows for the immune system to work at its best. Um, so that's the idea behind the injections of stress. But um, Other things which are important as well to mention is like D3 and K2. So K2 allows for the utilization of what's called D3. D3 you get from the sun, but also as well, being creatures we're inside right now, we're not getting D3 compared to our ancestors, like anywhere near the amount, which is required to support our nervous system, which therefore supports our immune system. And because we're not getting enough of that D3 to support our nervous and system immune systems, then uh, supplementing it is very important, which is why I personally supplement 5,000 international units. IU. you, um, it's very cheap, by the way, you can find it in a lot of places very cheaply, but 5,000 international units of D3. And I think it's like 80 milligrams of K2, which supports the utilization of D3. So yeah, these are like all fantastic things to help. That's
2: awesome. And what's the, the rate, re- are you taking more than the recommended dose of D3? Cause I've seen that a lot, like, compared to the, is the pack like a thousand or something like that? No, nah, so I got low. a
0: 5,000 one. I think I got it from IHerb oh, okay. or something like that. Yeah, yeah, But um, I think in New Zealand, it's very hard to get that. Normally they're 1,000. Um, yeah. But yeah, like um, I'm, I'm taking 5,000 purely based on a recommendation that I heard from a, what he calls himself a human biologist, Gary Breaker. Um, I did also like to do my own research when I hear people talk about this stuff. But yeah, um, I was very encouraged to take D3 based on those two things um, at that amount, um, personally. Yeah. So now that I'm sick at the moment as well, I'm taking 10,000. So I actually taking quite a lot and a lot of, about 5,000 milligrams of vitamin C. Most people only take like a thousand when they get sick. Right. But yeah, it's like mm. really macro dosing these vitamins to support the immune system as much as possible during the time it's fighting something. Mm. That's amazing. I've got to up my D3
2: because I was taking it and especially during winter, um, it really helps
0: help me with my mood. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely, because again, the mood's another thing that's tied to the immune and nervous systems, right? So when my immune system's fighting something, that compromises the nervous system. Um, and when my nervous system's compromised, I'm now not going to be as energized and therefore I'm not going to have insufficient levels of like dopamine and serotonin, all these feel, feel good compounds because there's a compromised ability to secrete these things based on the fact that a lot of my energy, quote unquote, is being directed towards fighting this thing. But when I support the immune system's ability to do that, right, it then also as well supports my mood. So as an indirect way.
1: Yeah. That's oh. been uh that's been insane. Yeah, I don't know how you're uh, so
0: knowledgeable
1: Thanks, it's across these different areas. But I can see that you find something you just want to go deep in yeah, and know everything about it. Uh, yeah, but it's the same so with you uh, with crypto, mate. That. You know, like how you deep dive <laughs> yeah. into stuff. You know,
0: there's so many avenues, and it's the same, right? right? When I delve deep into the wellness side of things, the anxiety side of things, yeah. um there's so many avenues and so much depth. And I'm only a student with this stuff, man. Like I'm still. That's why I'm I'm going to start um down the path of. um well some other avenues of qualifications that I'll go down but that's you yeah, know that's something that I, I won't share because I haven't started that yet but yeah that's um, yeah the cool part about the human body and the human mind There's so much there hmm.
1: Man, thank you so much for sharing everything uh, and if you're interested listeners on on what Kez is doing he's launched oh. his new program Unshakability School uh, you can have it to healing with Kez, is there anywhere else that uh,
0: you want people to follow you? I know you're big on Instagram. Maybe you can share your handle. Yeah. So Instagram's Coach Kizza. Thanks, mate. Appreciate that. Um, Coach Kizza. So just Coach K E Z Z A. Excuse the uh, New Zealand accent there. It's not Kizza. <laughs> um, <laughs> uh, and. Um, then of course the unshakability school, like you said, if you just go to my website, healing with kids, healing with kez.com, you'll find the program there. If you're interested, I've just launched it. Um, actually I haven't even launched it yet. It starts first of July being my only intake this year, probably most likely. Um, and the first 10 men get the early bird opportunity there. Um, but yeah, that's, um, that's another place you can find me and read more about me as well. And my podcast, the pocket coach, um, which is on every podcast platform. And it's just about this kind of stuff. Um, and I interview cool people um in fact we're re-releasing some old content recently uh, one with dr nicola pera i um, the holistic psychologist she's a wildly famous psychologist now at the moment but i managed to have an interview with her five years ago when she was still a small time one right like these cool things like you know it's, that's what i love about podcasting is like you can act, like you know get really involved and have proper conversations with some incredible people like yourselves you know and like um really uh have that as sort of like long-term uh content that you can keep and keep reusing and i love that stuff so yeah those are the places. Yeah, thank you so much, man. It's been super insightful. Um,
1: I feel as if you had probably 27 more questions. Had <laughs> oh, to 100%, to, mate. Oh. Like, <laughs> Talk for days about <laughs> <and laughs> <much> <laughs> <laughs> um, Thanks, everyone, for listening. If uh, if you have a friend or a family member that you think would find this really helpful, uh, whether it be mindfulness, meditation, uh, ice bars, you know, nutrition, everything like this, we'd love for you to share it with a friend. Uh, that's how we grow the podcast. So, uh, yeah. Yeah. Bergs, thank you so much. Kieran, thank you. We'll most likely get you on again, mate. We've got a few more questions. We'll be to get to, but yeah. Thanks for your time, man. Thank you
0: for having me. It's been a pleasure. Thank you. It's been
1: amazing. Awesome, guys. Mm -hmm. Thanks so much, Thanks, guys.
0: (laughs) Ciao, ciao.